Hello, welcome to Political as Heck, once again, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Corey. Hey, Todd, what's going on? Not too much. I'm, uh, I'm reaching out to you from, uh, from Washington, D.C. this week, so the thick of the swamp. All right, so let's start on a topic that's on everyone's mind, gas prices and rising inflation. There's been some conversation right now about whether the governor should do something about uh, gas t- gas prices, whether suspend the gas tax, provide a gas tax rebate. In Congress, they're debating whether to suspend the gas tax. This is what President Biden has done so far. He's begged Iran and Venezuela, two of our enemy countries, to start producing more, basically asking them, what can we do to help you uh, help facilitate that? He's blamed prices on oil companies. And uh, Congress, the Democratic Congress, is going to haul in the oil company executives this week and and shame them for for making profit. Guess what? You're going to make more profits if you're not able to reinvest money into the business because there's no other places to reinvest the money because all public lands are blocked off, for example, which he's done. Blocked oil and gas leasing, killed the Keystone pipeline, blocked other pipelines nationwide overturned the Trump rule to streamline permitting, which was fantastic. The, uh, uh, it was an update to NEPA. And John Kerry is out there making sure everyone knows how worried he is that the war in, in Ukraine will actually set Russia back in climate talks. So what do you think Governor Cox should or shouldn't do about gas prices? Well, um, I don't think that Governor Cox should suspend the tax on gasoline um, and the, the way our state government is created, um, UDOT um, would have to literally uh, let go all of their employees <laughs> because they are 100% dependent on the gasoline tax. Now, could we go on a special session and move some money around? Yes, um, that, that could happen. But we, we're already, uh, and this is in the weeds, but we're already kind of in a budget crisis because we're the only state that has a constitutional earmark on income tax. Um, so our sales tax can pay for anything, including UDOT and roads, but our income tax, it can only go to education. And with a constitutional change in 2020, it can go to social services, but we cannot spend our income tax on UDOT. And our income tax fund has been growing faster than our uh, sales tax fund. So, you know, most American families, the average American family will spend about $1,800 a year on gas. Um, Gas is not right now $1.50 a gallon more than it was a year ago. Um, and that's a huge increase, but it was also down a year ago because of COVID and, you know, most people started working from home. And so I think we got a a little bit spoiled, um, with the low gas prices, especially in, you know, in, uh, the summer of 2020 and the fall of 2020. Um, but, um, I, I think both sides are overreacting here. I think, uh, Biden and, his, his uh, White House administration, Jen Psaki and others, they're trying to blame all of the inflated gas prices on Putin, which is not fair. Um, and I think the, you know, a lot of partisans, and I, and I am a Republican partisan myself, they're trying to blame all of the gas prices on Biden, which I think is equally not fair. Now, uh, Biden needs to take some responsibility for inflation and the 70% increase, but some of that is just 
we're coming out of COVID where we're, more people are driving, more people are taking trips, more people are flying, more trucks are driving with the supply chain crisis. And, you know, um, as much as we'd like to pretend otherwise, whether Trump is in the White House or Biden or Obama, the president of the United States cannot exclusively control the price of oil. But you're right. Biden's done and he campaigned on this. He's done everything he can to make it more difficult for domestic leases and production. Uh, but for Biden to say all of the gas problems are Vladimir Putin's fault is disingenuous. And I think anyone who says, you know, all dollar fifty rise is all Biden's fault is also disingenuous because uh, because, you know, Biden has done some things that I disagree with and have affected the price. But there's also a, a whole global eco- economic factors at play. It's definitely the case that it's a global market. But during COVID, I mean, I got down to two bucks. So yeah, I think it's more nobody, than $1.50. Everybody was now, staying home, right? It was supply I mean, Just and yesterday, I paid four twenty-five. So it was it was hovering near four dollars before the the Ukraine war. So it was. I, I think it's more it than dollar fifty. That's yeah, been and it was certainly Biden. over. It was four dollars before Biden announced, like five minutes ago, that we're going to stop importing Russian oil. Yeah, um, so I, I would say uh, there's probably more like twenty-five cents, twenty cents. Uh, that can be attributed to the, the war in Ukraine at this point. Maybe may, that may go up, but I don't know. It's true that this is a global market, and there there is uh, a limitation on what the president can do. But by, President Biden is doing everything he can to to not help. I mean, there we could be unleashing American energy. We could have the Keystone Pipeline pumping right now. We could have other pipelines. We could have uh, uh, permits uh, approved on public lands right now. You know, all the, of that's true. There has been a, a massive increase in American oil production. All that's happening on private land. Private land. Yeah. What does that mean? It's not happening in Utah. It could, but it's not. Although I agree with you on Keystone, I think we need to be intellectually honest and say, first of all, Keystone is like a decade away from being completed. Keystone, it's been blocked for a decade. That's why. Yeah, it, yes, it, it had been but, blocked during the Obama but administration. Had Biden not shut it down a year ago, it still wouldn't be online. And Keystone doesn't increase production. It just gets oil from Canada down, you know, to the south. And and the the intent of Keystone is to ship that oil overseas, not to use it domestically. Now we could but use it to it put it in the market into the yeah, world market. And yeah, we price. could use it domestically. Um, so I, I just want to. For the, I just want to, I, I, I want to be neutral and, and be fair on all of these things. But I do agree with all of your premises. All right, next topic. So the League of Women Voters and the Mormon Women for Ethical Government, two groups that I knew very little about, but I'm learning more about them. They are suing to block the legislature's redistricting maps. What do you think, Todd? Are they going to win? Well, first of all, I, you know, when I found out about the lawsuit, I was very um, skeptical. Um, when I actually read the lawsuit, uh, it's very well written. And the lawyers that... It's the- very well written. Now, each it- count is like this. So for all those who are not lawyers out there, there's, there's, a, there's, an old, there's an old adage. If the facts are in your favor, you argue the facts. If the law is in your favor, you argue the law. If neither is in your favor, then you argue the policy, which is all that brief does. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it was, it's pure pie in the sky policy there. They don't even cite any case law. Yeah, because there is none. <laughs> I mean, they, they cite a, a couple of, they, they refer to a couple of cases in other states. But um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're facts, neither the facts nor the law are in their favor. But but I'm I am a little bit taken aback at the high caliber 
uh, Utah lawyers that they have on this. They have Michael Zimmerman, who's the former chief uh, justice of the Utah Supreme Court. They have the firm of Parr Brown, which is one of the premier uh, Utah law firms. And so I was expecting this to be some podunk attorneys. Uh, it's not. They got really good attorneys. And I think um, I think it's a weak argument, but I think they've put uh, a lot of lipstick on that pig, as the expression goes. Um, so the League of Women Voters, um, it, it's interesting. I, I like to tell this story. They, they, they feign to be neutral. They've, they, they're a very uh, left-leaning, Democratic-controlled um, organization. In fact, my first election cycle in 2012, uh, the League of Women Voters hosted a debate between me and my Democratic opponent, and I felt like it was, it was okay, fair, but a little bit slanted. I found out after the debate that the moderator from the League of Women Voters had donated twice to my Democratic <laughs> opponent before the debate and didn't bother to disclose that. The, nice. the Mormon Women for Ethical Government, the only, the only thing I knew about them was just before the election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, they released a video of uh, a bunch of Mormon women saying, don't vote for Trump. And two of those women featured were uh, Becky Edwards and Allie Isom, <laughs> uh, interestingly enough. So... That is interesting. All right. So you would know better than me, but uh, are, is, is Par Brown, are they, are they doing this pro bono? If not, then for all those people d- donating to Mormon women for ethical, ethical government, basically you're just throwing cash into the, into the furnace. Well, I don't, the, the, I don't know if they're doing it pro bono. My guess is no. Uh, I think that they have some well-funded national special interests who are probably paying for the lawsuit. And a couple of important on the left, things. probably on the radical left. Yes, a couple. Yeah, they're definitely not on the right. Uh, a couple, two, two important things about the lawsuit. Number one, they're suing to enjoin the 2024 elections. They've conceded we're well within the election cycle for 2022. So in that respect, I, I'd say this lawsuit's about four months late. It should have been filed in December or or even better in November. Um, so that's really odd uh, that they're kind of conceding the congressional maps for. 2022's elections, but then they want to switch them somehow in 2024. Number two, um, they're only suing over the congressional map. Now, the legislature adopted four maps in um, in November, last November. We did the congressional map, then we did the state school board map, which everyone forgets about because honestly, not very many people are focused on the state school board. And then we did the Utah House and the Utah Senate. Um, so they're only suing on the uh, congressional map, which I think is interesting. Now, if they win, I think they'd probably file a subsequent lawsuit or amend a complaint and go after the other ones. But um, they're basically arguing that uh, our state constitution, the Utah constitution, somehow uh, prohibits partisan gerrymandering, even though it doesn't say that. And um, I think it's a bit of a stretch. So the language in the Utah Constitution says the legislature shall divide the state into congressional, legislative, and other districts. That's what yeah. it says. So basically, and, the brief and the legislature is just one long, yeah. long scream of like we're butt hurt over uh, how the maps were drawn. Yeah. And guess what? For all those who who weren't paying attention, nationally, it was anticipated that Republicans would pick up anywhere between five and ten seats through redistricting. What's ended up happening is it's either even or it looks like Democrats are probably going to pick up two or three seats because because of because, because of, of New York gerrymandering Illinois, and in Oregon, Illinois. Yeah. All these Democratic states yeah. that that 
would really show Utah a thing or two about how to gerrymander. Everything that the Democrats accuse the Republicans of attempting to do in Utah is what the Democrats have done in Illinois and Massachusetts and New York and other uh, blue states. Massachusetts, by the way, a couple board members of the, the Utah or the Mormon um, Women for Ethical Government are in Massachusetts. I don't see them filing a lawsuit there. All right, let's go, let's go to the next one. Okay. Okay. Um, the Senate, the U.S. Senate voted 57 to 40 to repeal the federal mask mandate on public transportation. I just experienced this because I just flew out here to D.C., and uh, my ears are killing me because of the mask. Eight Democrats voted with all Republicans except. to repeal the federal mask mandate on, on planes and trains, except our Utah Senator Mitt Romney. What is going on? So I haven't heard. I'm OK. So first of all, I would have voted with the other Republicans uh, to re, to repeal it. Um, I haven't heard Mitt Romney's explanation, but I trust that he has. A reason, you know, his wife has uh, MS, and uh, I, I don't know if that would have informed his vote. But I'm glad uh, the eight Democrats joined. So I ride Front Runner quite frequently, um, and it's under the same mandate as the airplanes are. And so every time I get on a Front Runner train, I have to put on a mask. And you know, it's and I ride Front Runner for ten minutes usually. Sometimes I ride it for half an hour, but um, it, so it's not a big deal. It's not like a three or five hour flight like you're enduring. But I do think um, we're, we're beyond, it would be one thing if they required N95s or KN9, legit KN95s, but most people are still wearing cloth masks. On your flight, where was it cloth masks? Oh, exclusively. Yeah. yeah. And so we all, this is one thing we know. I, I mean, follow the science. The cloth masks are almost useless unless you're coughing or sneezing at that very moment. They're almost useless. <laughs> and they, they were useless against Omicron. Hundred percent. So I, 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 you know, look, I'm, I'm not going to impugn Senator Romney's motives. I'm sure he cares very deeply about his wife, and I, I care about her too. I, but the masks, as you just described, cloth masks have, have been completely discredited from start to finish. So at this point, I just feel like it's really disappointing, and I think most people in Utah would be, are just disappointed in that vote. It would be great for him to, to tell us why, you know, he went that direction. At this point, you know, let people make their own decisions. If you if you feel uh, threatened by COVID, you should wear an N95 mask. Wear two of them on on the plane if you need and, to. And, and I'm just gonna say one other thing: as a sitting legislator who takes a lot of votes, it would be one thing if the vote to overturn the mask mandate failed by his one vote. But the fact that it passed without his vote, I mean, I will tell you, I feel more pressure. Uh, to vote for something that my caucus colleagues are, are are supporting, if I know that it comes down to my vote. But if well, you know what, it actually did. So a few weeks ago, they 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 voted. Uh, there was another mask mandate vote, uh -huh. probably about three or four weeks ago. And because so many Democrats were missing in the U.S. Senate, they had already gone home. The Republicans had enough votes to win, except Senator Romney and then one other Republican senator just skipped town, didn't vote. So we ended up, you know, the vote lost because so yeah. he's also been in the in the position of causing a, a loss as well. So. Well, OK, and, and that's fair. But I would say I think Utahns would be more angry if because of his non vote, it would have failed. But because it passed without his vote, my guess is people won't be talking about this in two years when he's up for reelection. On a related note. 
Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes. Well, at least Politico is reporting that Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes is preparing a primary challenge to Senator Mitt Romney, who's up for re-election in 2024. Todd, what do you think? Is that a legit challenge? Um, yeah, I, I mean, Sean Reyes is a statewide candidate. He's been elected attorney general three times. He's running, I think, uh, for a fourth time right now, if I'm not mistaken. No, he ran two years ago. Um, you know, he's, he's a well-recognized name. So here, here's the thing. We don't know if Mitt Romney is going to run for a second term. Uh, my, I, I would wager maybe 50-50 right now. Maybe he'll run for a second term. Maybe he won't. So um, I'll go out on a limb here and say if Mitt Romney runs for a second term, uh, and you may disagree with me, I think he'll get reelected, uh, whether Sean Reyes is running or, or not. Um, if he's not running for a second term, you're going to see a plethora of candidates, uh, probably some of the Senate candidates that we're seeing right now, like Becky Edwards or Ali Isom, some of the failed gubernatorial candidates like um, Thomas Wright, maybe uh, Greg um, Hughes, may, maybe John Huntsman Jr., um, and, and I think there's other uh, people that may, might come out of the woodwork and run like Brad Wilson, who's Speaker of the House. And so, um, it, you know, I, I'm not willing to go out and say right now our, our next U.S. Senator from Utah in 2024 will be Sean Reyes. But I do think uh, he makes it interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree. Remember, Senator Romney has $200 million to spend. So it'd be very well. And Senator Romney's also anyone that knows him personally. Um, and I don't, but I know people who do will tell you he is a tightwad and he is not going to spend his $200 million getting reelected. So he'll spend other people's money, I think, and maybe a little bit of his own. So the one thing I can report is uh, I'm a county delegate in Utah County, and I probably can't go 20 steps without somebody telling me like, who's going to run against, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's going to run against me in 2024. And, and I don't doubt that Corey, but let, let's be honest. Utah County is not reflective of all the other 28 counties. Utah County is a little bit, uh, has its own nature, but I will say I'm a County delegate in Davis County. And by all accounts, the delegates that were elected in the caucuses a week and a half ago are, are pretty conservative, even in Davis County. I, I think that uh, Becky Edwards is probably going to have an unfriendly audience at the state convention next month. Well, I think, yeah, it's a good, for, for her purposes, uh, it's a good thing she's collecting signatures. I think yes. it would be a challenge yes. in, the, in the convention. Okay, so uh, last topic, Utah has gotten snubbed again for the GOP, 2024 GOP convention in favor of uh, Milwaukee and Nashville are the, are the two finalists. We thought there could be some hope. We talked about this months ago. I didn't really think that it was going to come through, but I, I really hope that it would. I mean, Milwaukee does make some sense because Wisconsin will be a, a swing state and I think could go either way. Uh, it really depends on who's running. I tend to think that there's, a, there's at least 50-50 chance that President Biden is not the candidate in 2024 for the Democrats. And we don't know who the, who, who the candidate's going to be for, uh, for the Republicans. So in any case, uh, you know, Wisconsin will be up for grabs. Utah, not as much. But hey, nobody's been more loyal, more loyal Republican voters than, than Utah. So hopefully at some point they, they will give us a chance. Let me just say, I, from, the, from the very first moment that the final cities were announced, I believed that the Republican National Convention for 2024 will be held in Nashville. Uh, in my personal opinion, and I say this with all of the affection in my heart, Milwaukee is the armpit of the Midwest. I, I just don't <laughs> see 
uh, the, the convention going there. And I've been to three uh, Republican national conventions. Uh, Nashville is hard to beat. It's just, it's a great tourist town. And I've been told repeatedly, uh, including by the people who were pushing Utah, that this, for this cycle, they're not, they're, they're not planning to choose a swing state. The, the swing state, um, the, the swing state uh, strategy has never paid off for the Republicans. And so I, I think they'll go to Nashville because Nashville is a great host city and there's a lot to do there. There's a lot of entertainment there, the Grand Old Opry and everything else, Dolly Parton. So my guess is they'll be in Nashville in the summer of 2024. All right. Sounds good. All right. That's all the time we got. We'll see you next week, Corey. All right. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks.